Our final reading of the evening comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you along with those angels. We praise you for this miraculous birth, this incarnation, the Lord Jesus Christ becoming a man, becoming a baby, born in a stable, born in Bethlehem. We pray that you will be glorified this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is a magic about Christmas time. There's, there's much nostalgia. And we have our, our Christmas traditions that we do every year, including this service that we have, Christmas Eve service every year. But we have decorations that we, that we put up every year. We have music that we listen to every year. And we have those things that we only do at Christmas time. And I think this is why we get upset when we, we see stores put up their Christmas decorations in October or play uh, Christmas music before Thanksgiving. And I think the magic of Christmas and, and the power of these traditions is that they provide for us really the closest thing that we have to a time machine. These traditions, they take us back to a previous Christmases. And we relive that, that feeling from our childhood. I remember just recently watching uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town and Frosty the Snowman and, and, uh, and uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with Elias. These are stories that I remember watched, reading and watching with, with my four children. And even when I was a child, watching these same things. So I get to watch them with my children and with my grandchildren. These are these, these memories. This is the time machine. And if you're like me, it's really hard to distinguish one Christmas for another. It's almost like these last two weeks in, in December are really a, a timeless period. 
It's a time when our, our, our current timeline stops. Many people are, are out from work. We're home. And we enter this, this non-temporal Christmas state. <clears throat> we gather together this, this Christmas Eve. We, we sing these familiar carols. We read these familiar uh, readings from Scripture. And all the Christmas memories from childhood or from movies, they, they come back and they flood into us. And we cherish this break. And depending on your, your upbringing, you may have different components of, of, of traditions. You know, for, for those of us from the north, it really is difficult for us to get into the Christmas spirit when it's 70 degrees out. And there, there's no chance whatsoever of a white Christmas. Another, another big component of the Christmas tradition is, is the holiday cheer. There's just a goodwill. There's laughter. There's, there's, there's joy. There's, people are at ease with one another. And there are both secular and religious aspects of our Christmas tradition. Giving presents, decorating the Christmas tree, putting up Christmas lights, manger scenes, uh, baby Jesus, the, the Christmas story that I just read from, from Luke, the, the wise men, all the stories. And these traditions are not bad. They're enjoyable. But we do need to be honest. While they have some Christian aspects, there is some biblical content to these traditions. For the most part, these traditions are cultural. They are civic religion. They are not unique to Christianity. And the gospel, the gospel is not central in these traditions. The saving work of Christ is at best alluded to, but it's not explicitly declared. And many who love the Christmas traditions see the biblical stories really as, as nothing more than, than myth. Cultural stories having no more basis in history or reality than, than Santa Claus. But this is not. This is not the way Luke sees the story. In fact, he sees it the exact opposite. Scripture does not present the birth of Christ as a myth. It doesn't present it as some nice tradition a little escape from the, from the real, real world into a timeless tradition. Notice that Luke grounds the story in history, actual world history. He grounds it with actual people and dates that you could look up. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was a real person, a person in history. A decree that all the Roman Empire should be registered. And this registration was so that they can be taxed. Again, this is a real historical event. And the original audience, they would have remembered this event. And not only does Luke reference the Roman emperor, he also references the governor of Syria, Quirinius. So this story is anchored in a real place and a real time, all of which could have been verified by eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses that were still alive at the time that Luke wrote this gospel. And Luke is extremely accurate in including many details that could be externally verified so we can pinpoint this uh, this event. See, it's not like a, a fairy tale. Think about a fairy tale. It usually starts off with once upon a time or in a kingdom far, far away. See, myths and fables, they're intentionally vague. They cannot be pinned down. They cannot be verified. But this is not the case with the Christmas story. It's important for us to understand that this story is real. It happened in time. It happened in space, in the real world. It's not a myth. It's not a nice traditional story. Mary and Joseph, they were real people. They had a real birth to a real child in Bethlehem, a real place that you can visit. Some of you may have already visited it today. And it's a specific time that could be cross-referenced with world events that could be externally verified. So why am I belaboring this point? Well, I'm belaboring this point 
because it's important to ground this biblical narrative in actual world history. And the reason is so that we don't discount what, we ha- what happens next. We don't treat what happens next as a fairy tale, as imagination, as fantasy, as myth. Because what happens next shows us the significance of Christmas. It shows us the cosmic significance, and it shows us the gospel. The gospel which, for the most part, is, is absent from most of our Christmas traditions. See, Satan really doesn't care if you say Merry Christmas. He doesn't care if you set up manger scenes on, on public property. He doesn't care if you show Christmas spirit. He doesn't care if you're generous and kind to other people. Because all of these things, as, as good as they are, they cannot have an eternal impact if we are silent on the gospel. And Luke shows us the significance by going beyond the temporal world. Luke gives us a glimpse into the heavenly realm. And the heavenly realm touches the earthly realm in this ordinary field filled with ordinary shepherds doing what ordinary shepherds do, tending their flocks. But this night is anything but ordinary. This night is extraordinary. Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, an angel appears to the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shines all around them. This is not normal. This is not normal at all. And Luke does not present this as normal. doesn't present this as a normal, everyday experience. Just as he doesn't present it normal that virgins have, have babies and women who are advanced in years have babies. No, this is not normal at all. And as you can imagine, this is terrifying to the shepherds. In fact, the first thing the angels have to say to the shepherds is, fear not, don't be afraid, we're not going to hurt you. And the angel is there to tell them the good news. He's tell them the best news imaginable. News that will bring great joy. Not just to them. Not just to the people in Bethlehem. Not just to the Jewish people. But to all people in all times. The best news. And the good news, this is for all people all over the world throughout all time. And verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. See, this day, this ordinary day, in this very city, the city of David, Bethlehem is born a child. And not just any child, but is born a savior. A child who will save the people. He will save those who believe in him. And what will he save them from? He will save them from death, eternal death. He will save them from eternal separation from God. And this savior, he is the solution to the world's biggest problem our biggest problem, and that is guilt before a holy God. And the solution to our biggest fear, and what is our biggest fear? It is death. It is separation from God. It is the eternal punishment caused by our guilt. And this child is no ordinary child. He is God incarnate. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is taking on our nature, human flesh. He is, he is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah. And the angel explains the significance of what is happening that very day. And this significance of this is an event that we're celebrating tonight, over 2,000 years later. And to show the magnitude of the event, the shepherds are, are given a glimpse into the, the eternal reality, the heavenly host. And they see this, this great multitude in the heavens that no one can count. You can think of all the stars you see in the heavens. Think of them becoming angels and becoming beings. And them all praising God at the same time, seeing glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And these angels, they, they are in awe. They're worshiping God because they are in awe of what he's doing. They are in awe of his magnificent plan. 
And they are praising the all-powerful God of the universe, praising him in the highest, glory to God in the highest. And why? Why are they praising him? Why is this, angels beyond number, why are they praising him? Because of redemption. Because of the gospel. The baby who was born is God incarnate, who took on a real human nature in order to redeem our fallen race, in order to undo the curse of this fallen world. And this plan is is so glorious that the, the angels are amazed and their natural reaction is to worship. And this awesome plan, it brings God glory. It brings him glory in the highest. And on earth, it brings peace. It brings us peace where there was no peace. It gives us peace between God, between us as fallen men and God. Now, is this peace for everyone? Is it open to all without exception? Well, it's offered to all. But the reality is, it is only theirs who accept it to those who belong to Christ by faith. And this peace belongs only to whom the Holy Spirit has opened their eyes for their need for Christ. For those who by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, have been born again and are united to Jesus Christ. My friends, Christian Christmas traditions are nice. They bring us some measure of joy and comfort. But we must never confuse these traditions with the gospel. Traditions cannot save. Only Jesus can save. Only his incarnation, only his sinless life, only his vicarious atoning, sin-atoning death and resurrection can save. And only receiving and resting upon these truths, upon the gospel, only when, when we do this does that make Christ's work ours. Only this can save. So on this Christmas Eve, I pray that every single one of us knows this reality personally. But if you don't, if any here do not, you could. You can make it this very Christmas night. This could be your most important Christian Christmas tradition ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this Christmas story. And Lord, we do pray, we pray, Lord, that it's more than just a story. It's more than just a, a nice event. It is the story of who you are. Your son, Jesus Christ, coming into the world, taking on flesh so that he can live a life that we could not live. He can take a punishment that we could not adore so that we can become united to you. I pray, Father, that everyone who hears my voice, this is their reality. They they are received and rested upon Jesus Christ alone. And I pray that in his